Section forty four of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter seventy two. London. June sixteenth, Old Style, seventeen forty eight. Dear boy, I do not guess where this letter will find you, but I hope it will find you well. I direct it eventually to Lubeck, from whence I suppose you have taken care to have your letters sent after you. I received no account from Mr. Hart by last post, and the mail due this day is not yet come in, so that my informations come down to no lower than the 2nd June, new style, the date of Mr. Hart's last letter. As I am now easy about your health, I am only curious about your motions, which I hope have either been to Innsbruck or Verona, for I disapprove extremely of your proposed long and troublesome journey to Switzerland. Wherever you may be, I recommend you to get as much Italian as you can, before you go either to Rome or Naples. A little will be of great use to you upon the road, and the knowledge of the grammatical part, which you can easily acquire in two or three months, will not only facilitate your progress, but accelerate your perfection in that language, when you go to those places where it is generally spoken, as Naples, Rome, Florence, etc. Should the state of your health not yet admit of your usual application to books, you may in a great degree, and I hope you will, repair that loss by useful and instructive conversations with Mr. Hart. You may, for example, desire him to give you in conversation the outlines, at least, of Mr. Locke's logic, a general notion of ethics, and a verbal epitome of rhetoric, of all which Mr. Hart will give you clearer ideas in half an hour, by word of mouth, than the books of most of the dull fellows who have written upon those subjects would do in a week. I have waited so long for the post, which I hoped would come, that the post which is just going out obliges me to cut this letter short. God bless you, my dear child, and restore you soon to perfect health. My compliments to Mr. Hart, to whose care your life is the least thing that you owe. Letter 73. London, June twenty-second, Old Style, 1749. Dear Boy, the outside of your letter of the seventh new style, directed by your own hand, gave me more pleasure than the inside of any other letter ever did. I received it yesterday at the same time with one from Mr. Hart of the sixth. They arrived at a very proper time, for they found a consultation of physicians in my room, upon account of a fever which I had for four or five days, but which has now entirely left me. As Mr. Hart says that your lungs now and then give you a little pain, and that your swellings come and go variably, but as he mentions nothing of your coughing, spitting, or sweating, the doctors take it for granted that you are entirely free from those three bad symptoms, and from thence conclude that the pain which you sometimes feel upon your lungs is only symptomatical of your rheumatic disorder, from the pressure of the muscles which hinders the free play of the lungs. But, however, as the lungs are a point of the utmost importance and delicacy, they insist upon your drinking, in all events, asses milk twice a day, and goats weigh as often as you please, the oftener the better. In your common diet they recommend an attention to pectorals, such as sago, barley, turnips, etc. These rules are equally good in rheumatic as in consumptive cases. You will therefore, I hope, strictly observe them, for I take it for granted that you are above the silly likings or dislikings, in which silly people indulge their tastes at the expense of their health." I approve of your going to Venice, as much as I disapproved of your going to Switzerland. I suppose that you are by this time arrived, and in that supposition direct this letter there. But if you should find the heat too great, or the water offensive at this time of year, 
I would have you go immediately to Verona, and stay there till the great heats are over, before you return to Venice. The time which you will probably pass at Venice will allow you to make yourself master of that intricate and singular form of government, of which few of our fellow-travellers know anything. Read, ask, and see everything that is relative to it. There are likewise many valuable remains of the remotest antiquity, and many fine pieces of the Antico Moderno, all which deserve a different sort of attention from that which your countrymen commonly give them. They go to see them, as they go to see the lions, and kings on horseback, at the tower here, only to say that they have seen them. You will, I am sure, view them in another light, and you will consider them as you would a poem, to which indeed they are akin. You will observe whether the sculptor has animated his stone, or the painter his canvas, into just the expression of those sentiments and passions which should characterize and mark their several figures. You will examine, likewise, whether in their groups there be a unity of action, or proper relation, a truth of dress and manners. Sculpture and painting are very justly called liberal arts, a lively and strong imagination, together with a just observation, being absolutely necessary to excel in either, which in my opinion is by no means the case of music, though called a liberal art, and now in Italy placed even above the other two, a proof of the decline of that country. The Venetian school produced many great painters, such as Paul Veronese, Titian, Palma, etc., of whom you will see, as well in private houses as in churches, very fine pieces. The Last Supper of Paul Veronese in the Church of St. George is reckoned his capital performance, and deserves your attention, as does also the famous picture of the Cornaro family by Titian. A taste for sculpture and painting is, in my mind, as becoming as a taste for fiddling and piping is unbecoming a man of fashion. The former is connected with history and poetry, the latter with nothing that I know of but bad company. Learn Italian as fast as ever you can, that you may be able to understand it tolerably, and speak it a little before you go to Rome and Naples. There are many good historians in that language, and excellent translations of the ancient Greek and Latin authors, which are called the Colana. But the only two Italian poets that deserve your acquaintance are Arostio and Tasso, and they undoubtedly have great merit. Make my compliments to Mr. Hart, and tell him that I have consulted about his leg, and that if it was only a sprain, he ought to keep a tight bandage about that part, for a considerable time, and do nothing else to it. Adieu. Jubeo te bene valere. Letter 74. London, July 6th, Old Style, 1749. Dear boy, as I am now no longer in pain about your health, which I trust is perfectly restored, and as by the various accounts I have had of you, I need not be in pain about your learning, our correspondence may, for the future, turn upon less important points comparatively, though still very important ones, I mean the knowledge of the world, decorum, manners, address, and all those commonly called little accomplishments, which are absolutely necessary to give greater accomplishments their full value and luster. Had I the admirable ring of Gyges, which rendered the wearer invisible, and had I at the same time those magic powers, which were very common formerly, but are now very scarce, of transporting myself by a wish to any given place, my first expedition would be to Venice, there to reconnoitre you, unseen myself. I would first take you in the morning at breakfast with Mr. Hart, and attend to your natural and unguarded conversation with him from whence, I think, I could pretty well judge of your natural turn of mind, 
How I should rejoice if I overheard you asking him pertinent questions upon useful subjects, or making judicious reflections upon the studies of that morning, or the occurrences of the former day. Then I would follow you into the different companies of the day, and carefully observe in what manner you presented yourself to, and behaved yourself with, men of sense and dignity, whether your address was respectful and yet easy, your air modest and yet unembarrassed, and I would at the same time penetrate into their thoughts, in order to know whether your first abord made that advantageous impression upon their fancies, which a certain address, air, and manners never fail doing. I would afterward follow you to the mixed companies of the evening, such as assemblies, suppers, etc., and there watch if you trifled gracefully and genteelly, if your good breeding and politeness made way for your parts and knowledge. With what pleasure should I hear people cry out, Che gabato cavier, come polito, disinvolto, spiritoso. If all these things turned out to my mind, I would immediately assume my own shape, become visible, and embrace you. But if the contrary happened, I would preserve my invisibility, make the best of my way home again, and sink my disappointment upon you in the world. As unfortunately these supernatural powers of genii, fairies, sylphs, and gnomes have had the fate of the oracles they succeeded, and have ceased for some time, I must content myself, till we meet naturally and in the common way, with Mr. Hart's written accounts of you, and the verbal ones which I now and then receive from people who have seen you. However, I believe it would do you no harm if you would always imagine that I were present, and saw and heard everything you did and said. There is a certain concurrence of various little circumstances which compose what the French call l'amiable, and which, now that you are entering into the world, you ought to make it your particular study to acquire. Without them, your learning will be pedantry, your conversation often improper, always unpleasant, and your figure, however good in itself, awkward and unengaging. A diamond, while rough, has indeed its intrinsic value, but till polished is of no use, and would neither be sought for nor worn. Its great lustre, it is true, proceeds from its solidity and strong cohesion of parts, but without the last polish it would remain for ever a dirty, rough mineral in the cabinets of some few curious collectors. You have, I hope, that solidity and cohesion of parts. Take now as much pains to get the luster. Good company, if you make the right use of it, will cut you into shape, and give you the true brilliant polish. Apropos of diamonds, I have sent you by Sir James Gray, the King's minister, who will be at Venice about the middle of September, my own diamond buckles, which are fitter for your young feet than for my old ones. They will properly adorn you, they would only expose me. If Sir James finds anybody whom he can trust, and who will be at Venice before him, he will send them by that person. But if he should not, and that you should be gone from Venice before he gets there, he will in that case give them to your banker, Monsieur Cornet, to forward to you, wherever you may then be. You are now of an age at which the adorning of your person is not only not ridiculous, but proper and becoming. Negligence would imply either an indifference about pleasing, or else an insolent security of pleasing, without using those means to which others are obliged to have recourse. A thorough cleanliness in your person is as necessary for your own health, as it is not to be offensive to other people. Washing yourself, and rubbing your body and limbs frequently with a flesh-brush, will conduce as much to health as to cleanliness. A particular attention to the cleanliness of your mouth, teeth, hands, and nails is but common decency, in order not to offend people's eyes and noses. 
I send you here enclosed a letter of recommendation to the Duke of Nivernois, the French ambassador at Rome, who is, in my opinion, one of the prettiest men I ever knew in my life. I do not know a better model for you to form yourself upon. Pray observe and frequent him as much as you can. He will show you what manners and graces are. I shall, by successive posts, send you more letters, both for Rome and Naples, where it will be your own fault entirely if you do not keep the very best company. As you will meet swarms of Germans wherever you go, I desire that you will constantly converse with them in their own language, which will improve you in that language, and be at the same time an agreeable piece of civility to them. Your stay in Italy will, I do not doubt, make you critically master of Italian. I know it may, if you please, for it is a very regular, and consequently a very easy language. Adieu. God bless you. End of section 44. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.